John 17. We're going to be diving into three weeks of a series which, we've, uh, which I've called uh, For the Love of God. Um, these are deeply foundational weeks. We're going to be going over some ground that we've covered as a church in years past, but um, I'd encourage you, if you can at all, to try um, and be at all three of these as we build some deep foundational, uh, re- retread over some deeply foundational things as a church. Um, as believers, this, this stuff is like essential uh, as I understand how to make progress and how to, what it means to follow Jesus, how to grow spiritually. Uh, that's how we start in the year with, the, with these things because this is of primary importance, um, if you want. Um, many of you will know of my scorn of the Beatles, worst band ever to make music. They sang a song and it said, all you need is love. Have you ever heard that song? Okay, some of you have been subjected to the Beatles. Mick, Mick love, Mick's back just for a little bit. He loves the Beatles, but he's counseling for that. The, 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 need, the need to be loved is a core basic thing, isn't it? Everyone has a need to be loved. And everyone, I'll add to that, everyone has a need to love others. You, you will be most fully alive when you are most deeply loved and loving others out of that. Are you tracking it with me? First, and then something else. It's, it's being loved and then loving others. I've got a couple of intro things I want to say before we dive into John 17. I want to give you read a, a quote by J.R. Packer, who you should read everything that he writes. He says this, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means he doesn't understand Christianity very well at all. The understanding that God is a father and that you are his child, you are his son or his daughter. Jared Packer says that if that doesn't inform the way that you worship and the way that you pray and the way, and the way that you approach every single thing in your life, it means that you've missed Christianity. It means you think it's something else. It's about doing a whole bunch of stuff. It's about coming to church. It's about being a good person, whatever else it is. If you've missed this central thing, that the defining thing of what it means to be a believer in Jesus, a follower, is to be the child of a father and to relate to him like that. That is at the essence what it is and to enjoy that love that comes from that father. You'll be familiar, probably, many of you, even if you're not too big on church, you would have been to a wedding where somebody's read this passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It doesn't really have much to do with marriage, but everyone reads it at weddings. I mean, it's good. I mean, if, you, if it was read at your wedding, that's cool. Don't worry about it. Then you don't have to go and re, get remarried. First Corinthians 13, verses 1 to 3. If I, this is Paul speaking. He says, if I speak human or angelic tongues, just while we're reading this, just tick off all the things that you do, by the way. Tick off all the things that you've mastered when we read this list quickly. If I speak in human or angelic tongues... But do not have love. I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. 
If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can say, so I can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions, and if I give over my body, sacrifice my body in order to to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. What is Paul saying? If you don't have love, you actually have nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. You're just a gonging symbol. You know how pleasant that is. It's way worse than even your child being given a recorder for Christmas. It's much, it is worse than that. I know, I know there's few things worse than that. But a big gong in, gong, gong. That's what you are like if you do a whole bunch of stuff without loving people, without being motivated by love, but without being grounded in love first yourself and moving forward from that. And I want to say that you can't ever give what you don't have. You can never give what you don't have. You can't love others unless you are deeply loved yourself. You can look loving and say kind things and be a nice person, but you're not passing on the love of God. God is not working in and through you as a conduit of his love if it's not first something that you're receiving in an ongoing way with deep joy in his presence. So let's read John 17. Because we're going to be in it for a couple of weeks, we're going to read the whole thing uh, this week. It's Jesus' prayer. And we're going to read the whole thing and then we'll just revisit a couple of verses each week and we're actually going to work backwards through John 17, which is a bit strange for us. But let's read from verse 1. Jesus spoke these things, looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you since you gave him authority over all flesh so that he may give eternal life to everyone you have given him. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. I have glorified you on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. I have revealed your name to the people you gave me from the world They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you, because I have given them the words you gave me. They have received them, and have known for certain that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, because they are yours. Everything I have is yours and everything you have is mine and I am glorified in them I am no longer in the world but they're in the world and I'm coming to you holy father protect them protect them by your name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one while I was with them I was protecting them by your name that you've given me I guarded them And not one of them is lost except the son of destruction so that the scripture may be fulfilled. Now I'm coming to you and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy completed in them. I've given them your word. The world hated them because they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I'm not praying 
that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them, so that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. May they all be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me, so that they may be made completely one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, so that they will see my glory, which you have given me, because you loved me before the world's foundation. Righteous Father, the world has not known you, however I have known you, and they have known that you sent me. I made your name known to them and will continue to make it known so that the love you have loved me with may be in them and I may be in them. Let me pray before we dive into this. These are astounding words, Father. Jesus, amazing that you, you prayed these words to your Father. We have them recorded here for us to hear and to delight in and to dig into what they mean for us and let them wash over us with all of the power that they're meant to carry in as we look at these things, as we lean into your word, as we come under its authority, we pray that you would speak to us, that Holy Spirit, you would teach us, that Father, you would, you would draw near to us, you would open up our eyes to see and that more than just being seen and knowing, we would come to experience and enjoy this love that you, Father, have for the Son. That we would be found delighting in that this morning, that you would do that work amongst us by the Holy Spirit. Come now and focus our minds and our hearts and our attention. Unblock our ears, shake off any sluggishness in our spirits that we could be fully attentive and focused to your word and your voice amongst us this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So th- this passage is about a lot. Uh, and I, like I said, we're not going to deal with everything that this passage is. And I'm zoning in on a couple of things, like I said, that are particularly foundational. And, and I suppose at its core, this passage, in my mind, reveals to us this father-son relationship that is at the very heart of what it means for us to understand who God is and from that, understand who you are as a child of God, who you are as a believer, who you are as a human being, why God has made you. And so even if you're here this morning and you wouldn't necessarily say that you're a Christian, you've been invited or dragged along here by somebody, what you're going to hear this morning is very, very much um, the truth of why you are on the planet and, and why you were created. This is like the most important stuff. And there's two verses that I want to 
I want you to have a look at it again because they, for this week, um, are the highlight of what we're going to be looking at. Verse 26, Jesus, right at the end of his prayer, says, I made your name known to them and I'll continue to make it known so that the love you have loved me with may be in them and I may be in them. Verse 23, um, it ends with saying that the world may know that you've sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. And at the core of what I want us to get today is this, that, that you are loved by the Father in the same way and with the same intensity that the Father has eternally loved his Son. And I know that this, some of this is a bit heavy going for a Sunday morning. Some of you are like, what did he say? Don't worry, I'm going to say it a, a whole bunch of times and you'll, you'll get it by the end. But this is, this, this is truth out of God's word that simultaneously should melt your heart and make your brain explode. That, that, that this is how God feels about you. This is God's opinion, inclination towards you. When you wonder how God feels, this is how he feels about you. It doesn't, doesn't matter what kind of week you had. Some of you had an awful week. I always say some of you don't know where your Bible is. So some of you just had a rough day yesterday. Some of you screwed it up this morning. And you're sitting here thinking, God's sulking with me. You couldn't really get into the worship because you haven't really sorted stuff out. Some of you shouted at your children. Shame on you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I never shot at my kids. So. <laughs> and, and, and that's clouding your, your opinion of what God f- feels about you. You feel like this unsaid, unspoken, unreconciled stuff. And when you read this, this is the truth. What you feel is not true. You adjust and modify your feelings, your emotions against the truth of God's plumb line here. And this is the plumb line. This is what he says. He says, eternally, the Father has loved the Son with a love that we can't comprehend. And Jesus says, you're going to love them with the same love you have loved me with. That, when you wonder how God feels about you this morning, that's how he feels. He loves you. He doesn't love you differently to Jesus. He loves you in the same way he has eternally loved his own Son. It's amazing. It should cause you just want to go sit on a blanket under a tree for about an hour or two and just think, what on earth is going on here? If not, I don't think you're getting it yet. But we have some more time still to go. So, These are foundational things. I talk about these as foundational things because foundations are things on which other things are dependent. You build foundations so that other things can exist on top of them. If you don't get this understanding of how deeply loved you are by the Father, you can't add other things on top of it. This is a foundational thing of how God feels about you, how God relates to you, how God interacts with you, who you are to him. So let's answer a couple of questions as we go through this. I I like questions. I feel like they answer things in passages. There's not tons of points today. There's many questions. What was God doing before he created the world? Have you ever thought about that question? What was God doing before he created the world? If you haven't heard that question yet, Maybe because you don't have kids yet, because they come up with these kind of questions. It's like, what was God doing for all eternity? It's like, got to sleep. You know, they only ask you that like, like, at like 9 o'clock at night. Like, yeah, shush. You know? What was God doing before he created the world? Twiddling his thumbs? Planning something? Hatching a plan? Here's what he was doing. 
the father was delighting in the son. And the son was delighting in the father. And the spirit was in the mix of all of that. And they were perfectly happy and complete and lacking nothing. That's what was happening before the creation of the world. God has no lack. God is not lonely. They weren't sitting around the Trinity, weren't sitting around thinking, guys, this has been great for the first like however long, but you know, let's let's make something. I mean it's I'm a bit bored of you, Oaks. Let's make something and then we'll have more people to interact with and whatever else. There's no lack in God. There's no there's a fully full sufficiency in the love and in the oneness of the Trinity. I know it sounds to you and sounds to us in our humanists like is that all they were doing? Just loving and loving each other. Like, wow, that just sounds like boring. No wonder he created the world. That's just like, I could suffer that for 10 minutes and then I'd want to make something. It's like, no, no. it's because we, we're limited in our understanding. We don't understand the glory and the majesty and the wonder of God and the, the self-sufficiency within this trinity. That that's what God was doing before the world. So then your next question is, why did God create us? That's a good question. If there's a sufficiency in God and in the Trinity, in their love for one another, why do you exist? Was God lonely? Lacking? Was God looking for servants? Minions? Run around at his beck and call? Was he looking for worshippers? Is he a bit of a low self-esteem? He needed people to get together on Sunday mornings all around the world and sing and lift up his name and you know tell him who he is and... So he'd feel good about himself? No, 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 and no. He, I think there's a lot of verses coming down the pipeline today. A lot of them are short. I think Romans 8, verse 29, is it here? Listen to this. We're diving into like the best chapter of the Bible here. Romans 8, it says this. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he, Jesus, would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Every time I have read this passage, growing up, I always thought that this was God's plan, that he predestined that I would be conformed to the likeness of Jesus. And I read that and understood that my job as a Christian is to look more and more like Jesus. So to stop doing all the non-Jesus looking things and do more of the Jesus looking things. Are you with me? Don't be bad, be good. Be, don't be unloving, be loving. Like, do all that stuff. Like, focus on my activity in looking like Jesus. And it's only lately where I've started to understand that there is that element too, I think, what God does in conforming us to look like Jesus. But where you get conformed to the same likeness as Jesus is that you become joined to receiving the same affection that Jesus gets from the Father. Because it says Jesus is the first of others who would come after him. Jesus is the first one who experiences the full love of the Father. And there's other brothers and sisters who would come and join into that. That is foundationally what this is about. Because Jesus is not on some leveling up kind of perfection journey kind of thing. He's perfect forever. When you conform to the likeness what you're doing is you're stepping into and enjoying together with the first one the son the love and the affection of god that jesus has enjoyed forever you and i get to enjoy as we become his brothers 
and his sisters. That's why God created you. God created you because there's an overflow in the love of God. There's an overflow in the love of God. The love of God is so astounding and never-ending and creative that it bursts forth in creativity to create the world so that he can love you like he's eternally loved the Son. He's not looking for people to do stuff. He's not looking for worshippers. It's just in the nature of God. This, oh, it just explodes out and God creates the world so that there can be more objects of his affection. Are you with me? Is it making sense? Are you still tracking? I know you have to concentrate. This is like theology on a Sunday morning, but this is why you exist. God created you so he could love you the way he's eternally loved Jesus. So it goes without saying that if you miss experiencing that, you've missed everything. It doesn't matter how much of a splash you make on this planet. If the core of your identity and your time and your delight isn't in enjoying the love of a father over you, you have completely missed why you have been given breath and life. And when the converse is true, when you lean into that, everything starts to make sense. It's like, okay, I get it now. It doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter what I don't do. You don't have to make a splash here. You don't have to make a name for yourself. You don't have to busy yourself and weary yourself and burn yourself out with activity. Your primary, primary calling is to be found as somebody who delights in the affection of a father. Because you're going to do that now, and guess what? You're going to be doing that forever. This is an eternal thing because you're joining in an eternal love like the son has eternally had. We're going to enjoy this for eternity. There's going to come a time when you stop doing things for God. When you stop trying to make a name for yourself, adding to the health of the planet or whatever else, that's going to come to an end. We're going to work, sure, in heaven, but it's going to be very, very different. It's just going to be full on joy. I know some of you are holding out for that day. So God, that's what God created us. What did we do? What did we do when God created us At the, as this overflow of his love? What well, we told him to get lost. In summary, he, he loved us and gave us a, a freedom to love him back, and we didn't. We loved other things. That's what you see in Genesis 3, talking about Adam and Eve. It says the woman saw that the tree, you know, they get banned from the one tree. They can eat, they can eat anything else. Anything else. There's just one thing they can't do, and they're going to do it. It says the woman saw that the tree the one they shouldn't eat from, was good for food and delightful to look at. And that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some fruit and ate it and she shared some with her husband and he also ate it. God had given them absolutely everything and wasn't enough. They wanted to gain wisdom. They wanted to be at the center. They wanted to be in charge. They wanted to do their own thing. They weren't sufficient and settled in his love for them. They got to go outside of that and do something else where all the problems start. Listen to the sobering description that Paul has in 2 Timothy chapter 3. It says, For people will be lovers of self. That's a great summary, isn't it? Of the world, of us, of you. A lover of self. I mean, this list is pretty intense. Lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, 
irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That's what we did. We became lovers of self rather than lovers of God. That's how humans responded to God's creative loving overflow. So what did the Father do in response? What did the Father do in response? As a parent, the, 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 the things I'm most embarrassed of as a father is how I've responded when my kids have stuffed up. Those are the things I'm most embarrassed about. When what they most needed was love and I gave them more rules or harshness or a clap when they didn't deserve it or emotionally shunned them or all the other weird stuff that we as parents do. Or maybe I just do it. I'm sure you're all much better parents than I am. The things I'm more delightful and evidences of God's grace in my life is when my kids screw something up and I have the grace to respond to them with kindness and grace that I think comes from God because I don't think it's in me. That's the most, the times where I most see the evidence of God's work in my life. When you respond in a way that's not natural, as it were. What does the Father do when we reject Him? He sends His Son into the world to save it. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't make, it just doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense. God has eternally been okay in and of Himself. He creates the world as a loving overflow object of his affection to love them and we tell him to get lost turning on ourselves Martin Luther says we're all just benting on ourselves and God could have just obliterated the world and just said you know what this is a bad experiment go back to being the trinity this is not worth it seriously not worth it but he doesn't he responds like a loving father because that is who he is there is no way that God could ever have responded in any other way because he would have been inconsistent with his very nature. He couldn't have just obliterated the whole world because mercy is who he is. Mercy and, and love and justice is who he is. He couldn't have responded that way. First John 4 verse 8 says this, The one who does not, know, who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this. Not that we loved God. Exact opposite. But that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. God's the first mover always. And we tell him, get lost. And he's like, this is how you know what love looks like. That God, in the face of rejection, comes towards us. It's mind-boggling. Romans 5 verse 8, God proves his love for us in, for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Why is still sinner, Christ died for us. 1 John 3.16, this is how we come to know love. He laid down his life for us. If you want to know what love looks like, it looks like the Father sending the Son as an atoning sacrifice for you. That's what love looks like. It's amazing that in the rejection of God, we now suddenly see more fully the extent of the love of God. Are you with me? In the rejection of God, now our eyes are open 
to the extent of his love for us. As a pastor, you get to deal with tons of people's mess. Families, people who do stupid, sinful things. Think about yourself. You're married. Your husband or wife cheats on you. They commit adultery. They reject you in the deepest possible way. That's the deepest possible hurt there. The picture here is God is the offended party. Instead of sulking and enlisting his rights, he seeks out the one who sinned against him, loves and forgives and reconciles and does everything possible to win them back. And we are the ones who committed adultery, who loved other things, not him. And he is the offended one who comes to us and says, I'm not giving up on you. This is not over. This is not over. I will fight for you. I'm coming after you. And I'm going to do something in you and win you back to me. I'm going to cause you to love me again, even though you've loved these other things. God doesn't respond in a way that makes any sense to us. He doesn't just save us. He adopts us. He adopts us as his children. You can go and read it in Romans 8 verse 15. He says he gives you the spirit by which, the spirit of adoption by which we get to call him dad. It's amazing. It's not just like you get saved. It's like, again, I don't, don't stuff it up again. You get, you get brought in as a child and adopted in this new relationship with the father. And with it comes privilege and inheritance and relationship. I mean, we could go the whole day on all the stuff that comes. But there's something that really it was impressed upon me in preparing this is this, that God is not embarrassed about you. God isn't embarrassed about you. He's adopted you. There's no embarrassment. Go ask Joe if she's embarrassed at all about Remy. You see them walking into church. Remy is just the most delightful little kid. There's no embarrassment when Joe looks at Remy. Oh, Remy, you know. She can knock her milk over a million times at the coffee table. There's no embarrassment there. That's her child. She has adopted Remy. We are the, the croppers. Sam, you're not embarrassed by Sam. He's your son. He's a different color to the other cropmans, but he is a cropman. He is their son. He is Sam. There's no embarrassment over this, over this one. You know, these are the natural ones. This is the adopted one. No, no. Adoption into the family, son or daughter, child. There's no embarrassment, and that's at a human level. God is not embarrassed about you. He does not tolerate you. God does not tolerate you as a believer in Jesus. In our, in our family, we're sort of making the transition from, you know, when your kids do embarrassing things, when you're a parent, and you're a bit embarrassed by them, and out in the shops throwing tantrums and stuff. It's shifting now to where us as parents do things that embarrass the children. Um, <laughs> It's quite a sobering shift that happens there and happens quite quickly in the blink of an eye. And I remember lo- last year I took Karis um, to London with me uh, on, a, on a speaking trip. And uh, it, it was cold and so we sort of went from Starbucks to Starbucks, living on hot chocolate for her and coffee for me. And it was freezing. Like Walking outside it was cold. So the one time she wanted to keep walking, so we had coffee and my, my nose, my extremities are always cold. If you've shaken my hand, um, you'll know about that. Uh, and my nose is freezing. So I had my coffee, which I thought was perfect, and I was putting it on my nose 
like rolling it backwards and forwards over my nose. And it was working brilliantly. I mean, I was like, oh, my nose is like defrosting. It's starting to pour now because it's defrosting and stuff. I, I know this is too much information right at the moment, but not really the point. And I'm doing this. Now, Karis is mortified. She's just like, oh, my. she's now walking away from me. I'm like, I gave life to you. What the heck? What the heck is wrong with you? She's like, so now, being the good kind dad, I'm like, you're not shunning me. Now I'm walking after her, shouting her name. All these school kids are coming. I'm rubbing my nose more in my coffee there, yelling her name. I'm like, I'm delighting in this. And she just wants the earth to swallow her up kind of thing, you know? Anyway, that's the space we're in. God is not embarrassed of you. God is that father who's got pictures of you in his wallet. He's got pictures of you on a mug. He's got pictures of you on his t-shirt. You're his screensaver, his background, his wallpaper. Your laugh is his ringtone. I mean, we could just keep going the whole day. Do you get the picture? God's not embarrassed of you. And I know some of you are thinking, this is such a ridiculous thing. That is your default. For some of you, it's a stumbling block. You think God is ashamed of you. He takes greater delight in those who have the act together. He takes greater delight in the Christians who, who seem to know it. Like the guys on the worship team must love these oaks way more. They were here early this morning. They sing all the songs. You don't even know the words. That's not true. It's not in the Bible. God delights in you. He said his affection on you. He's adopted you. And he rejoices over you. He indwells you with his spirit. Romans 5 verse 5 says this, this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. This is a foundational truth that God has poured himself into you through the Holy Spirit. That's how you love because you have been loved. It's not just an intellectual thing. And as, as God pours the Holy Spirit into us, he changes our hearts and he changes our loves. Because you, you'll chase after the things that you love the most. No one has to tell you to love something. You just do. You're a lover by nature. And we all love different things. And the work of the Holy Spirit is to slowly, over a period of time, change the affections of your heart and set them on the Father and onto Jesus. And as you do that, you get caught up in what has eternally happened in the Trinity where the Father delights in the Son and the Son loves the Father and the Spirit magnifies both of them. That's the work that the Spirit does in your heart. That, if you're wondering, how, do, how can I get to a place where I can love God more? You lean into receiving more of what God does through the Holy Spirit because you can't do it in your own. You need an activity of God in your own life, in your own heart, to love God himself. It's not about lists and all that kind of jazz. It's about just Drinking deep of God himself and letting God change your affections and the things that you love. What else? He doesn't just adopt us first with his spirit. He delights in us. You know the, the verse from Luke chapter 15 verse 10. I tell you, in the same way there is joy in the presence of God angels over one sinner who repents. I've read that verse a million times. I have quoted this verse a lot. And I think I got it wrong. Do you know what we understand? What I've always understood is that when a, when a sinner repents, the angels rejoice. But that's not what it says. It says that in the presence of the angels, 
there is rejoicing. Who is in the presence of the angels? God. The rejoicing is in God when the sinner repents, not with the angels. Maybe the angels join in. But the deep joy when sinners come back is God's joy in you, not the angels having a sing-song and like, woo, we got another one. It's God saying, they're coming home, they're coming home, they're coming home. These are mine. I made them for myself. And the angels get to look in on that and join God's party in heaven as we're coming back to him. God's having the party, not the angels. The angels get invited, maybe. Or they're there. I mean, you know what I mean? God is the one. I want to skip over a couple of application things here. We could keep talking about this stuff the whole day. As you lean more into the fact that God loves you, what does it do for you? Delighting in God's love make you more fully human. Like I said, this is what you were this is what you were made for. There's multiple, multiple places for you and I to go for sources of identity and joy. Multiple places that you can lean on for who you are and what gives you joy. And the truth that the scriptures would put forward to you is that you were made for God and you will be happiest when you find your joy and your identity in him everything else is an imposter until you get that one right everything else will disappoint you it can't bear the weight of your expectations secondly is the delighting in god's love enables us it frees us to serve others it frees us to serve others if you're married you need to pay particular attention now it frees you to serve your spouse because if your heart is deeply satisfied and delighted in God's love for you. All of your needs are met in what God gives you and what God fills in you. You are now then free to love and to serve others, and you release them from having to meet your needs. We get ourselves into a world of trouble when you think you need somebody to love you. You don't. You don't. You need God to love you, and he can do it fully. You know, if you needed somebody else to love you, then anyone who doesn't get married is a bit unloved and a bit kicked to the curb kind of thing, which is utter garbage. You don't see that in the Bible. Marriage is a wonderful thing, but you don't need it to be fully loved. You need God to be fully loved. When you get that right, you're fully loved. You go out into the world and you've freed up everyone else who you're leaning on to prop you up and to love you. Now you go out and you just serve them. You release them from the crushing burden of having to meet your needs. Are you with me? You've released them from the crushing burden of having to meet your needs because God meets them fully and finally. That is a completely different way to live. You go out into the world to give rather than to get. You go out into the world to give rather than to get. It's a completely different way to live. Second last thing is that it helps us to love unlovable people. We all have people that we struggle to love. Amen? It's the only amen I get from the morning is that we all have people that we struggle to love. How does God's love poured into your heart change that? Well, first it reminds you that you are unlovable too. The gospel is a story that you are unlovable, not lovable. You're unlovable and yet God has not treated you as you deserve, but he's loved you. And then as Romans says, God pours his love into your heart. It fills you up and then it overflows, just like God's love is an overflowing 
love. It overflows out of you to love others. You're loving with the love that is poured into you and is an overflow. You're not having to try and wind stuff up in yourself. And you're able to love unlovable people. You're not treating people. That's why we struggle to love people, because they don't measure up to our criteria. They either do things or don't do things that we find annoying or whatever it is, and so they fall off the love list. And, and soaking our hearts in the truth of God's word changes all of that, it dumps it on its head. The last thing I'll say to this is, as an application point, that God delights in having your full attention. Think of a relationship. You're out on a date. This person is pouring out their heart to you. Just one second quickly. Just checking, just making some notes. Sending an email quick. But I'd, I'd, I'd love, love to hear. Tell me more about how you, how you, how, how you love me. All the things you don't. Just undivided attention. You know, in normal relationships, we recognize that there's something totally jacked up about that. And you feel it. You know what I'm saying? If you come to me and you point out your heart to me and I'm just like a million miles away, you don't feel loved even in the slightest. God delights in having your full attention. Here's my question. In what ways, what's the rhythm of your life where God has your full attention? Your full attention. He doesn't have your full attention now because you're listening to me. You're distracted and you're hot and you're tired and you want some coffee. A million other things. When in your life in the rhythms of your life, does God have your full attention? Because that is when you start to dig deep into God and experiencing God's delight over you. God has got your full attention. You think you don't need it. You just look at the pattern of Jesus when he's on earth. Everyone needed something from Jesus. Everyone needed something. And they didn't just need counseling. They needed healings and resurrections and a whole bunch of other stuff. And Often, Jesus is escaping. They can't find him because he's with his father because he needed his father's full attention and he needed to pay his father full attention. You start there, then you go to the people, you're back with the father, back with the people. That's the rhythm of our lives. What does the rhythm look like in your life where God has your full attention? You've got to figure out some rhythm of your life where God often, as much as is possible, has your full attention so that he can love you, that you can really understand and experience the depths of God's love for you. I want us to pray as we, as we end. I know that there's been a lot of information. But here is my burden for us this morning, that, that you would leave this morning in a, in a fresh way, loved by God and understanding that and experiencing that. Whenever you talk about God as a father, Depending on your experience, sometimes there's a, an objection, there's an obstacle there. Because some of you, your father was a no-hoper or not present or whatever else. And like that's a sticking point right there. Your father was so unlike God, it's difficult to relate to God as a father. It's like, I love Jesus, Jesus is great. I'm talking about the father. Wow, I'm excited about the Holy Spirit. Father's a big problem. God wants to heal those things. There's a way in which God does heal those things through the outpouring of the Spirit. Jesus, Jesus says, which of you, if you ask an earthly father for whatever, all these things, would, you know, the father's not going to trick them, give them scorpions and ask for bread and stuff. He says, how much more would your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those of you who ask? 
And, and for many of us, that's what you need. That's just simply, I don't have any golden bullets for you. All that I can do is point you to your need for more of the Holy Spirit being poured out into your life. doesn't matter how nice everybody else is to you and the kind things they say about you, you will be bereft of joy, love, significance, and purpose unless God is lavishing his love on you. And he does it through an outpouring of the Spirit on your life. So I want to pray for us this morning that God would do that in fresh ways for us this morning and that we'd be a church known for that deep joy, drinking in this, the goodness, this undeserved, but it's just a lavish gift of God's grace to just come and day after day fill us and love us so we don't run after the loves of everything else in the world. Let me pray for us and then we're going we're gonna to sing together as we close. Just as we're quiet now, I, I wonder if you would pray um, pray for yourself. There, there, is, there is something in being prayed for uh, by others. There's a, there's a lot of power in that, but there's a lot of power in you just being honest with God about what you need or what you most want and what, what you most desire from God. And I would encourage you right now just to take some time... I, I know, I know it's later than normal and you should feel no compulsion to stick around. But if you, if you want to just sit for a while and say, God, I'm feeling a little bit underloved. I can see how it's playing out in my life. I, I would encourage you to just sit with God and let him love you for a while. There's nothing more important. Genuinely, if you're a parent here, Ask somebody else to look after your kids for five minutes and just sit. This may be the longest time you sit with God just loving you and rejoicing and delighting over you this week. Get somebody else to look after your kids for a bit. This is of primary importance, guys, that you feel and experience the deep love of God washing over you and filling you by the work of the Holy Spirit. So you pray your own prayers. You ask God for what you want and let's just wait on him in the to ask the band to play for us and sing over us as, as, as you just enjoy God coming close to us and filling us and strengthening us.